paramedics, and I don't have a lot of recollection beyond that until I was in the rehab hospital four or five weeks later after surgery, and then about a week in a pharmacological coma on the vent so that my swelling could go down. I had been transferred several times to different facilities, but the point at which I began to have memory again, I was in an acute rehab where I stayed for about a month before I went to a residential facility and spent about two months for the majority of the summer. They're labeling it cryptogenic in that there's not any known cause that we can identify yet, but it would appear that some lifestyle issues contributed. So probably that I was taking oral contraceptives and I was a pretty heavy smoker at the time. I was smoking probably a pack a day and had been for about a year and a half. I have left side weakness and so I have not yet regained use of my left arm and hand. So I went to a brain injury rehab and it was a co-ed cabin and there were seven adults and we had six hours of physio and speech and physical therapy each day. We were tasked with maintaining an agenda, a calendar, and a journal where we kept track of classes each hour and had to reflect on our progress. The important thing is just knowing that it is such a slow process and it happens incrementally. And so one week I may have a 5% gain and then I may have two weeks without any gain, but then everything adds up to full recovery. But it happens really slowly, and initially I was not aware of how how that was going to be. I expected that if I did the programs and completed them, that I would be well again. And then I realized, even completing the programs, I may still have some deficits that I have to work towards. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. After a stroke, survivors often experience emotional and behavioural changes. Feelings of anger, anxiety and depression are also common. Much like the physical disabilities resulting from a stroke, emotional and behavioural changes can improve dramatically over time. In this episode, we hear from Lauren Schluterman from Conway, Arkansas, who suffered a stroke at the age of 35. I was serving as director of crisis services for a large mental health agency. And so I had a team of about 50 therapists in my state across about 40 counties. And we did all of the assessments when someone presented to the emergency room reporting suicidal thoughts. I was a therapist by training, but my specialty was suicide prevention. So I worked 50 plus hours a week and was an avid runner and usually did races on Saturdays, and I was in training to become a yoga instructor. I have a five-year-old son, and we bought a new house about a year ago, so my free time was usually spent chasing my son and working on our house and the yard and really just family and home sorts of things, but I definitely worked too much and did not have a good homework balance. I didn't really have any warning signs leading up to it, no headaches or secondary medical problems. I was kind of in a really good groove as far as life goes. 
I had just met someone and had been dating him for about two weeks. And I was awake one evening during a storm and I was outside reading and I came inside and got into bed and I woke up and the stroke had occurred sometime in the very early morning hours. And I woke up to my ex-husband in my house and he was yelling at me. He thought that I had taken drugs or that I was under the influence. He knew that something was wrong when I didn't show up that morning to drop our son off to him. And so it began with him waking me up yelling, what drugs are you on? And then he called paramedics and I don't have a lot of recollection beyond that until I was in the rehab hospital probably four or five weeks later after after a surgery and then about a week in a pharmacological coma on the vent so that my swelling could go down. I had been transferred several times to different facilities, but the point at which I began to have memory again, I was in an acute rehab where I stayed for about a month before I went to a residential facility and spent about two months for the majority of the summer while I did rehab and got my basic mobility and life skills back before coming home in late July. Doctors couldn't determine a clear cause for Lauren's stroke. They're labeling it cryptogenic in that there's not any known cause that we can identify yet, but it would appear that some lifestyle issues contributed. So probably that I was taking oral contraceptives and I was a pretty heavy smoker at the time. I was smoking probably a pack a day and had been for about a year and a half. There was some high cholesterol that I wasn't aware of, but the best that they can surmise, there was a clot at some point that I was unaware of that had traveled to my brain. And so when it caused the bleed, I had the stroke and I didn't have any pain or headache or any recollection of difficulty speaking or weakness But as a result, I have left side weakness, and so I have not yet regained use of my left arm and hand. So I went to a brain injury rehab, and it was a co-ed cabin, and there were seven adults, and we had six hours of physio and speech and physical therapy each day. We were tasked with maintaining an agenda, a calendar, and a journal where we kept track of classes each hour and had to reflect on our progress for each session. And we could have visitors on the weekends for about two hours on Saturday or Sunday, but there were no passes off-site. And so for, for that three months I was at that facility, I felt really isolated and struggled a lot with mood, just like low mood and anxiety but also just the struggle of being confined to a cabin with other adults when you're 35 and have lived on your own for all that time. So it was quite difficult for me. And by the time I left there, I felt like I had really done as good as I could in that setting. And then I returned home, mostly alone, but my parents hired a caregiver to stay with me for three months. And they recently were able to let her go. And I'm able to be on my own a majority of the time at this point. I'm not driving yet, but I do the basic house duties and I'm I'm able to prepare meals and stay by myself overnight. And that's only been for about a month now. So that's where I am in recovery at this point. I had home therapy for about three weeks and then, and then I did outpatient therapy. I graduated last week and now I'm going to a local university on a 
pro bono basis just with students doing the treatment. I am able to get around independent of any aids. I don't have to use my walker or my cane. I am able to stand and move about independently. Whereas when I first came home, I required a good bit of support as far as a gate belt and someone within arm's reach. But I have gotten with balance and coordination to the point of being able to get around safely without having to have someone close by. And I would probably count it as 100% when my arm is of use again and I'm able to drive again. But I am nearing those accomplishments, I believe. And I think the important thing is just knowing that it is such a slow process and it happens incrementally. And so one week I may have a 5% gain and then I may have two weeks without any gain, but then everything adds up to full recovery. But it happens really slowly. And initially I was not aware of how how that was going to be. I expected that if I did the programs and completed them, that I would be well again. And then I realized even completing the programs, I may still have some deficits that I have to work towards. As well as her physical recovery, Lauren had to work on her mental health. I thought that coming home would be like this great relief and this weight lifted and that I wouldn't struggle with depression or sadness or isolation or withdrawal or anxiety. But that wasn't the case when I came home. I still had to really self-monitor and actively engage in activities to make sure that I was still watching out for depression and low mood and being an advocate for myself and telling my family and my friends what I need has been the most important because they can't read my mind. And so if I tell my parents that I really need some engagement, then they will come get me and bring me to their house for a movie or dinner or to spend the night. And I also have to reach out to friends and former co-workers and say, I would like to see you. Can you please make some time to spend with me? Because as people would like to help, but they don't know exactly what my needs are and they don't want to crowd me or be a burden or do things for me when I am capable of doing them. So it has just been a trial and error of being able to advocate for myself and get my needs met as well as establish independence and let people know what it is that I would like to do for myself. Being in the mental health field, I was really unaware of how much depression and anxiety can result after a brain injury, how quickly you can find yourself in a depressive episode if you if you are not properly treated. And so I have had to experiment with depression medication to find the right balance for myself. And I realized that prior to the stroke, I was able to run and that helped balance my mood and it was a great coping skill for me. And I'm not able to run long distances yet, but I hope to be able to within the next year or so. It's been adapting and figuring out what my normal is going to be after the stroke and all of the changes that happened to my brain and my body. Coming up, Lauren's goals for returning to work. And the volume of calls and emails coming in was just unmanageable for any one person, especially someone with a five-year-old. And and so I would like to really be very careful and diligent when I return to work with how I 
engage with coworkers and what I commit to as far as workload. I want to do that work again when I'm able to do so, but I want to be much more aware and cognizant of how it is affecting my health and and my relationship with my child. And the online stroke community. And I think that the experience of having a community at my fingertips has been something I did not anticipate that I would ever need or use, but it has really become part of everyday life at this point. And so there are certain groups and certain individuals who manage different groups on Facebook and Instagram and various platforms where um, I look forward to their progress and keep up with it. Throughout her recovery, Lauren's family and friends have been consistently supportive. I have watched them rally around me and be fearful for my life, afraid that I would not survive, and then go through their own grieving process of knowing that I will not be the same as I was before as far as being independent and super active. But everyone has sort of found their stride and their place in the process at this point. But it definitely was a process. It didn't happen quickly or overnight. But I know that it has been as hard on them as it has been on me. And I know that there are times when it is probably burdensome. I know that they know that I would do for them what they have done for me. I am very fortunate to have amazing parents and siblings and friends. And I can count on them for anything, no matter how embarrassing or trivial it may be. Ironically, my dad is a neurologist, and so he was able to really, from the very beginning that morning that we realized I had had the stroke, he knew very specifically what was going on and what to expect and was able to inform family and friends what to expect as well as what I was going through. So I count myself very fortunate that he was in that unique position to really manage my treatment and be able to inform everyone of what to expect. But even now, I am in the very early stages of planning on returning to a career, and I'm not able to jump back into a full-time workload. He is in practice at the local hospital, which is just a few miles from my house. And so I'm able to do a volunteer position at his clinic where I can get back into the routine of being in a clinic with patients and phones and computers and coworkers. And so I have just begun a volunteer position where I can set my own schedule and get used to the work setting before I really commit to going back to work in in its full extent. I would like to return to work in a capacity probably slightly different than before. Before, it was really unrealistic. I was around the clock monitoring a crisis team, and the volume of calls and emails coming in was just unmanageable for any one person, especially someone with a five-year-old and And so I would like to really be very careful and diligent when I return to work with how I engage with coworkers and what I commit to as far as workload. I want to do that work again when I'm able to do so, but I want to be much more aware and cognizant of how it is affecting my health and and my relationship with my child, because I'm afraid that there was likely a lot of stress on my body and my 
relationship with my child that I was unaware of because I worked so much and so often. Lauren also found great comfort from interactions with other stroke survivors online. As soon as I was able to access my phone and my iPad, I began to realize the vast amount of online resources and just people to connect with and that feeling of isolation and like no one really understands what it's like kind of just vanished because truthfully you could spend all day and all night every you could just use all of your time reading or engaging with other stroke survivors and feeling validated in every situation that you could imagine no one ever imagines that it 35, they would be in the situation of not being able to toilet or shower independently. And so you're suddenly in this vulnerable position of needing someone to take care of your very basic needs. And so it's very humbling, but it's also a situation that can make you feel extremely alone, isolated, embarrassed, and fearful. And so I was able to very quickly find a community of survivors who understand without me having to explain every situation from being in a rehab hospital that is similar to a nursing home to having to battle in court for custody of your child. And so there is really a corner of the internet for every situation that I have been faced with. And I think that the experience of having a community at my fingertips has been something I did not anticipate that I would ever need or use, but it has really become part of everyday life at this point. And so there are certain groups and certain individuals who manage different groups on Facebook and Instagram and various platforms where um, I look forward to their progress and keep up with it. But also I would say that with stroke stories, I use it as a, as background music for life all day, every day, whether I am doing cleaning or just basic chores or just going on my daily walk. I always have stroke stories playing on my headphones. I've made it a good bit through the podcast as a whole, and I felt really compelled to reach out when I was in a support group meeting last week and found out that a fellow member is actually a um, past stroke stories guest speaker And my parents and I were discussing how interesting my story is with all of the various components of it being cryptogenic all the way up to present day when I am mostly independent but haven't yet regained full normalcy, but that it is just such an interesting story to hear when most of the time at my age, you're not really aware at all of the potential for such a catastrophic medical event. We talked about how it might be helpful for me to kind of put it into a cohesive story and what what it could do for me as far as catharsis to kind of tell my story and hope that it would impact others. And so that's kind of how I got to be with the online community of stroke survivors. Lauren believes that every bit of rehab you do, no matter how small, can make a difference. I would tell other survivors that you really just cannot realize how well you can do in recovery and that any progress is progress and it all adds up. And whether or not it will add up to 100, no one can answer for certain, but that you can certainly count on knowing that any effort will will contribute. So on days that I want to just lay on the couch and not pursue any kind of recovery, I have to tell myself that anything I do 
is a point towards my recovery. And for family members and loved ones, I would say just know that the survivor is probably just as lost and scared and afraid and anxious of the unknown. I think that, you know, I often think, what would I do if someone in my life struggled with or suffered from a stroke and had to be on the other side of this? What would that be like for me? I just tell myself that I probably will have the opportunity at some point to repay the love and support that I have been shown. And I think about how I might go about that. And I think that I will be able to do a good bit of good when I return to being a counselor and a therapist because so many of my clients have been in the position where they have been needy and vulnerable and afraid of the unknown and stuck in situations like the isolation of rehab that I experienced. And I will be able to empathize on a different level than I've ever been able to before. But I think that those in the lives of stroke survivors just need to be aware that it is isolating and scary for everyone. And that oftentimes what I want to hear more than anything is for my loved ones just to ask me what it is that I need or what they can do to lighten my load. So for example, I have coworkers who come by every week and spend time with me over their lunch break. And one of my coworkers, she helped me do some dishes the other day because she was concerned that if she didn't wash what was in the sink, that I wouldn't have the pots and pans that I needed to prepare my dinner. And I just felt like that was the most considerate, thoughtful thing that anyone had done for me throughout my recovery, because I've never been in someone's house and looked in their sink and thought, oh, I bet I should do those dishes. I bet they will need them today. And it just struck me as this act of kindness, like nothing I'd ever experienced before. And so if someone had asked me what they could do for me, I would never have said, do my dishes. But but it was extremely helpful and considerate, and it really impacted me. I was really inspired that day to do things for myself and to be as active as possible. So you really never know how you're impacting the survivor in your life or what kind of progress that you will inspire just by asking or just by um, being helpful. And I could go on a different tangent of being very firm with them about their capabilities and knowing that oftentimes we are more capable than we believe to be and that if everything is done for us then we are very inhibited in what we do for ourselves because if we don't have to do it for ourselves we may not but my family has really come here recently into being um, hands-off and allowing me to really do what I'm capable of doing And that has led me to challenge myself and to take on a different level of independence than I had previously been engaged in. And I'm grateful for that, although initially it was quite awkward and it was an adjustment period. But being willing to allow the survivor to exercise their independence may be difficult to watch at times, but I do think that in the grand scheme of things, it is probably the greatest thing that I have been given. After a period of recovery, Lauren reached out to stroke survivors to share her experience to try and help others come to terms with their stroke. She's also working towards becoming a mental health therapist with an emphasis on suicide prevention. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. I thought, well, I'm going to write about that, partly to 
kind of come to terms with what had happened to me. And it, it has really worked out that way as well, because I think for quite a few years, I just felt really heavy with the whole story of it, that it just felt like a weight I was carrying around with me. The hospital, not long after I had woken up from the coma, had said that you will never walk again. You will be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. Thank you for listening to Stroke Stories and thank you too in advance for helping us spread the word. Please recommend the podcast to anybody you think it will help. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, we'd love to hear from you. Our DMs are always open on Twitter and Instagram. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.